Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. So uh, today we are uh, the third installment of a series called Big Problems, Bigger God. Right? Anybody have big problems? Yeah, if you have children, (laughs) I'm sorry. If you're married... If you have a boss you don't like, if you have parents, I'm just looking at these guys. If you have a parent, you have big problems. I'm picking on you today. See, I, the beautiful thing is I was their teacher at times, so I pick on my students. It's just what I do. They know that. But here's the thing, ready? We're going to be talking about bigger problems, bigger God. What happens when the giant has insider, inside help? <laughs> we, we're going to be eventually talking about the story of David and Goliath, so that's a That's a precursor. The beautiful thing about the story of David and Goliath is most of you know it. It is probably one of the most celebrated and understood stories, most preached about stories, especially in the Old Testament. Pastor Greg said, can I tempt you to teach David and Goliath? And I said, I didn't realize you were that devious. Because who doesn't want to teach on this exciting story? But before I go there, I I want to sort of build a foundation. First of all, I need to tell you something about myself just so that you pay attention. First of all, I love the fact that it's about 40 degrees in here. As a a teacher, it makes people alert, or or at least you shake and I think you're alive. Um, but, uh, But today what I want to do is I want to talk about the second sin uh, noted in the Bible. Now, we, we, we all know the first sin, right? That's, that's that woman making a big mistake and, and her husband sleeping on the job and all that sort of stuff and the serpent and all that stuff, right? We know that there was a, a choice. We, we know that it was pride-centered. We know that there was a situation where they chose to make their own decision because they thought that, that, that they could be God, right? That's basically the story. Because I don't want somebody to tell me what to do every every child knows that truth. I don't want to be told what to do. Therefore, I'm going to do what I want and take the consequences. Well, that's Genesis 1 through 3. That's what happened. But the, the, the second sin, like the second child, is less... Who's the second born here? You know, the one that nobody cares about, the firstborn is... I'm sorry. 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 <laughs> the second sin is, is actually found in Genesis chapter 4. And I'd like to share something with you that maybe you hadn't seen. So if you have a Bible, if you could turn to uh, Genesis chapter 4, if you have one of the black Bibles, it's really easy, page 5. And this is after uh, Adam and Eve had been uh, removed from the garden and, and there's some things that people think happened that I, I just want to sort of bring to close because it, I don't think it happened that way. But it, it says uh, in, in Genesis 4, starting at verse 2, it says, Later, she, being Eve, gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. So, so Cain was the oldest and then Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel's gift, Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain 
and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Number one, God cares about what you do. He distinguishes between what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. In our culture, I'm going to tell you, I know some of you say you're a Christian. (laughs) Sorry. I know as a Christian, I have been around people and I've been in positions where, oh, my behavior doesn't matter. There is a cult in the Bible called the Nicolaitans. Find them in uh, Revelations chapter 3 and 4. And their their philosophy, their false doctrine was, since I have been blood washed, my behavior doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Our society is all about it doesn't matter. Now, you know that. Our society says, it doesn't matter. I can't tell you right or wrong. Obviously, I can't speak right or wrong. Although, I do have an avenue. I can tell you right or wrong from the pulpit. (laughs) The one place where, uh, did anybody bring stuff to throw at me? The issue is this. God cares about your behavior. There is an absolute right and an absolute wrong. And the, 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 the fun part is, when you read the story, you go, that's sort of unfair. See, the human sensibility says, well, who is it, who who made God God that he could tell people what right and wrong is? And then then theologians and preachers, they try to get into like, what what is the, what's the mechanism? What is God so tweaked about? Why is he so upset? Is it because there's lambs and there's fruit or vegetables? Or is it because the best portions and, and then all of a sudden uh, Cain is throwing crud on the, on the offering? We don't know. We assume that one of those two things are happening. What we do know is because God can accept and not accept, it gives us the clear impression that God told them what he expected. The beautiful thing about our relationship with God is God is very explicit of what he wants from us. The problem with me is I don't want to hear. I don't want to read my Bible because then I'm responsible for it. I don't want to really listen to a message because uh, somebody's going to tell me that my behavior is sideways. I know you're really quiet now because I'm telling you the truth. David, or David, (laughs) not there yet. We're not even there yet. The the thing is, God corrected Cain and he took it as personal rejection. Every parent has seen this in every child. No, don't do this. Oh, you hate me. I've seen it in all my children. I've seen it in every child. I've seen it in every student. You gave me an F. That means you hate me, Mr. Carroll. No, you earned the F. I didn't hate you. I'm just being obvious. 
See, part of the thing is the lie. See, one of the things that we don't see in this story, we don't see the serpent. We don't see the whisperer. We don't see the deceiver. But something inside of Cain is saying, my correction, which I think he actually deserved, means that I'm no longer loved by God. Anybody ever feel like when you get caught doing something wrong or you know you've done something wrong, all of a sudden your value just shrinks to zero? You know what's fun about that? And if I left it there, you'd go, oh, God hates me when I sin. Can I tell you, if that was the case, God himself would not have visited Cain face to face. There is a concept, and it's true, God hates sin, absolutely. But that does not mean that God removes himself away from the sinner. Right there in Scripture, chapter 4. God came in, in between the hurt and the future action, he stopped him right in the thought process and says, listen, you have a choice now, son. I know you think you've had this whisperer saying, because you've sinned, I hate you. That is baloney. Some of you are free right now. Because you sinned, it doesn't mean God hates you. You're free. Be free. Be free. Be free. The scripture says specifically Cain was in the turmoil and he was angry at God and God came to him and said, listen, the enemy is whispering in your ear. Tell him to, to, to go to a hot spot. <laughs> Tell him to get out of town. Notice what he says. He says, God says, you need to correct, correct your behavior which means you need to go back and learn what I want you to do. Your behavior, your problem is with me because you've acted wrong. You've given an offering that I didn't design or didn't want it that way. And God is telling Cain, change how you operate. But what did Cain do? Cain took that hurt and he says, I can't fight against God, so I'm going to take it out on my brother. God tells him, be careful. Be careful because if you don't control the thoughts in your head, the sin will overtake you. Right? Footholds become strongholds. It's a spiritual notion. Isn't that a good word? Praise God. You know what? The issue comes down to this, is that God is the one who speaks to us, more importantly, about what right and wrong is. He's the one that tells us how we are to act. And our responsibility is to hear that and align ourselves to that, that action. In Hebrews 11, I'll just go there, trust me. This Hebrews 11, it says this. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. So it had not necessarily to do with whether it was lambs versus vegetables. But by faith, by him hearing and obeying, he brought the best. Can I tell you, some of us need to change that perspective. That we start bringing God the best in our lives, not just, uh, you know, the dregs. Right? God is, he cares about what you do with your heart. Okay, let's, uh, let's get into the scripture a bit.
I, I love it. See, as a teacher, I want to get a foundation going here, right? Uh, so today I, I want to talk about this big problem, bigger God, but I want to use it in, through the lens that maybe is a little bit different. It's about what is approval. Uh, so my dad passed away about five and a half years ago. He lived to, to early 90s, which is fantastic. But, but my memories of my father is sort of interesting. Uh, as a child, all I could remember was disapproval. I mean, that's all I came away with. Like, I blew it here. This is how he got angry. This is what happened. That, those are the things that just center in my head. I, I, I was blessed, favored, highly favored. I became a Christian when I was 18. And God transformed my life and allowed me to see things different. And obviously, he was getting older and he was changing too. And, and it gave us opportunity to have a relationship that has, had words of approval. My dad was a wreck. <laughs> he didn't know who Jesus was, but he saw something in me. When I, I remember when I brought my wife, my, my to-be wife, Jennifer, when I brought her and I introduced him to my father, he said, you done good, kid. And I said, I know. He wasn't talking about the fact that she was beautiful. He was talking about a, a woman who had character. After a while, when we'd been raising our kids and we were juggling, I don't know how many kids we had at the time, but, but when the internet was starting and my dad grabbed a hold of it, he sent me an email and he says, I know that this is long time coming, but I just want to tell you that you've done a really good job with your family. I printed that email and have it. That is something that whether I put it in a frame and put it on a wall, it's something that I hold on to dearly. See, approval and our approval and how we are seen by people of significance is critical. And let me put it a different way. Jesus said, you will serve someone. We are created to serve we're created to recognize the authority and serve. We're going to serve someone. What I realize is that we are all seeking the approval of someone. And I just want to encourage you to, to center your approval on the loving God. Amen? Okay. All right, let's start. Oh, I get to do this. Button? No? Is it the front button? Big button. Big button? Uh, arrow? Oh, that one. Gosh. Hey, speak to it. Come. Okay. Hey, so listen. Uh, so Pastor Greg started this series with a couple of different statements. He said that God's authority is so big that the laws of physic, physics obey him. God's knowledge is so big that he calls you by name. God's holiness is so big that, he, that his immediate environment is purified. God is so big that, he, that success depends primarily on his presence. God's love is so big that he chose to deliver you. So that, that was the foundation of this whole series. How God shows his bigness in my life. So I, I, wanna sh I just want to open up a, you know, today we're going to be talking about the story of David and Goliath. And it, it, it's about um, a thousand years 
um, well, a thousand years before David and Goliath, uh, there, there's a foundational statement. A thousand years prior, God spoke to Abraham and said, I've got a promise for you. What was the promise? What was the promise that God gave to Abraham? It was about land. He said, I got this land for you. The land that you're walking on is what I'm going to give you. And fast forward another 650 years or so, maybe in that range, 400 years, uh, we, we have our story. Or actually, we have Moses. Again, the, the, the promise was given is that I'm going to give you a land. So we have a promise through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then it followed through Joseph and the, and the tribes. Notice what God speaks to Moses. This, this little quote on your scripture, uh, Exodus 14, 10 through 14, is what God speaks to Moses after they've come out of or after they've gone through the Red Sea. He says, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord himself will fight for you just stay calm. Can I tell you that that direction hasn't changed in 3,000 years? That our responsibility is don't be afraid. Stand still and watch. He will rescue you today. See, our our. Walk with God is all about he rescued me, he is rescuing me, and he will rescue me. That doesn't change. The Lord himself will fight for you, just stay calm. You know, that's a real difficult, how many people, I know, you don't have to, some of you are real fighters. I, I tend to fight at certain moments. God just says, stop it. <laughs> Get ready, stand and watch. But the real power comes from God, not you. Exodus 33 says this. This is, God has just told Moses, hey, listen, I want you to go into the promised land. This is after they're wandering around. In Exodus 33, 14 through 17 says this. I'm sorry, I don't have a page number. That is so rude of me. You'll find it. (laughs) What is it? 75. It says, well, you don't need it since I've got it on the screen. That's, that's why you didn't have to put it in. <laughs> Silly me. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. That's, can you receive that today? That is God's word to his people. If you're his people, that applies to you. Then... It applies to me because I can see it and you can't. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with me, don't make me leave this place. Again, that's a great confession. God, if you're not going to go with me, I'm not going. Boy, some of us really need to own that. (laughs) If you don't know God is with you, stop. Right? If you're lost in the, what's the thing? If you're lost in the woods, stay put. Unless there's a bear, I guess. I don't know what to do. Verse 16. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on 
your people if you don't go with us. Notice Moses is saying, I need your favor. I need your approval. I need your acceptance. And that, that is going to be seen when you are present in my life. Your presence is an evidence of your favor. Notice, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Can I tell you, if you find yourself in times of trouble, God's presence, the peace that he brings is evidence of your salvation. It's evidence of his favor for you. Verse 17, the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for I look favorably on you and I know your name. These are some of the things that Pastor Greg threw in the front. He says, I'm looking for a God that puts his presence in me. I'm looking for a God that knows my name. God is not interested in your religion. He's not interested in the compliance with some code. He is interested in the personal walk one-on-one. -on -one. That's, oh, that didn't come out as well as I want. This is a picture of the promised land, the land of Canaan. And what's tough is, um, yeah, right down the middle, there's the Jordan River. It's a squiggly little river, right? Uh, but but that, that outlined area, that's the land that the people of Israel occupied, right? It's the land that God promised them. Actually, the land to the left of the river or west of the river was part of the promises, but the, that's what they occupied. And what's, what's crazy is that when God brought the people eventually across the river Jordan, we're going to see that, that there are years, like I, I think eight years, where the, the, the commander-in-chief Joshua goes and he conquers 31 kings. Right? They, they go up and down and they break the power of 31 kingdoms in the land. In fact, let me, let me do this. In, in Joshua 11, it says this. So Joshua took control of the entire land just as the Lord had instructed Moses. He gave it to the people of Israel as their special possession, dividing, it, dividing the land among the tribes so the land finally had rest from war. Isn't that cool? But you know what the rest of the story is? He then tells each of the tribes, right? There's 600,000 men and their families, and he goes, hey, listen, I now want you to go into the land that we've portioned to you, right, into your, into your counties, into your regions, into your cities, and I want you to go conquer the people that live there. Uh, I, I, thought, I thought the battle was done. Uh, it says that the, they were at rest from war. Don't I just to get, sit in my lazy boy? The game's on. The, the issue is, yes, the war was done, but the personal battles begin. See, part of the thing is that I want to express is our relationship with land in the Bible 
refers to what God wants us to conquer. And can I tell you, your land is different than my land. It may be corresponding, but it could be different. Your land is what God wants you to conquer. You have been anointed physically, spiritually, to go into areas of your life and take authority over it. Yeah, the battle has been won. We know from our view in the New Testament that Jesus conquered the enemy. He conquered sin and death on the cross. Amen? Amen. But, excuse my language, it doesn't stop the battle. It doesn't mean that I just sit and wait. I'm not at a bus station or a train station waiting with a ticket saying, I'm going to go to heaven. No, he says, you are to battle daily inside your mind against the schemes of the enemy. You are to to fight against what the enemy wants to steal from you. So part of the thing that we look at is while there is rest spiritually, while the supernatural uh, battle between the, the armies of God and the armies of the enemy have been taken care of, that is done. We fight individually against the schemes of the enemy in our head. Okay. All right, let's do this. Ready? This map's a little bit bigger. So our story, we're going to be going to uh, page 242 in your Black Bible, First uh, Samuel chapter 17. So this is a picture, and, and to the far right, you can see the city of Bethlehem. That's where David lived. And this area, you can see the little marker I put there was Sukkot and Azekaz immediately, immediately to the left. In that valley is where the battle of, of David and Goliath will occur. Immediately to the left of that or to the west of that is a city called Gath. And above that is a city called Ekron. Those are cities of the Philistines. They are not Hebrew cities. And what was going on is this. The battle that we're going to be talking about is this, that the Philistines are trying to encroach or take over the land of Israel. Now, can I tell you, each one of us face that battle every day if you are a spiritual being. If I could tell you how the enemy works like this, it would be like this. Uh, You know what? You should be afraid because there's this virus out there and it's going to kill you. Now listen, there's a virus out there and it could kill you. I understand that. I'm not trying to be stupid here. I'm just saying that you should walk in fear everywhere you go. Uh, you shouldn't be around people, you know, because, because you know, it, they're scary. You should be angry at people who don't see the same thing you do. You should isolate. You should remove yourself. See, the land refers to what's in your head, how you think. It's no different than Cain dealing with hurt feelings and misunderstandings. Sin is crouching at the door. You must master it. It is my responsibility to take authority about what I think. The scripture says that I'm to take thoughts captive 
and look at it and say, does it match what God says? If it doesn't, you throw it away. David lived in Bethlehem. It's about 15 miles to where that dot is. David is a shepherd. I'm going to guess, I'm going to submit to you kindly. He likely knows the area. He likely has driven his sheep into that vicinity for pasture land. Likely. This land is the land of Judah. And we have an army coming to encroach and to take authority and to rip off the land. And, and the issue is this. When the enemy comes into your life and he tries to rip off your peace and the presence of God, you go, oh, I, I guess... I guess I just, I guess I just wait. Uh, I, I, I don't have, I don't know what to do. I, I'm weak. I'm tired. I don't want to create a, a mess. I don't want to have people be upset with me. Can I tell you? That is not what David said. David was ticked off. He says, wait a minute, that's my land they're stealing. In the physical, he's recognizing that the more that the Philistines take, the less he has. So I want to tell you, listen, one of the messages, one of the statements is, you need to know what God has given you. What has God given you? God is, if you're, if you're married, God has given you a spouse to relate to. I, I, in preparing, preparing, preparing for this message, someone I know uh, called me and they were going through issues with their spouse and there was issues of talking about divorce and all that sort of stuff. And you know what my counsel is? Covenant. God says, you are to stay faithful to your spouse, whether it is good or not. Now listen, I understand that if it's abusive physically, I, I, got, I got outs. I understand the outs. This person went to a real estate agent who is a Christian and said, you should leave your husband. That person turned around and says, I don't agree with you. That is from the enemy. You will always hear messages that make you feel like you're getting what you want. It's hard. I want to leave my spouse. That person hurt my feelings. Therefore, it is the, the Cain statement. God, you told me no, I'm going to kill my brother. What? Exactly. Finally, somebody says amen. Listen, each one of us have to, be uh, have to understand that we're responsible for the word of God that he's put within us. We're responsible for that. If you've entered into a covenant of marriage, you stick with that. Is it going to be easy? No. Ask anybody. It's not easy. It's not designed to be easy. The Bible says, parents... Be careful over your children and children honor your parents. Is that easy? No. In my head, I want to break them. In my head, I want to leave. I want to be isolated. And God says, stop it. This is the land I've given you. David said, stop it. These people are trying to rip me off. 
Some of you would pull guns at this point. Probably the right thing to do. So what I'd like for you to do is to turn to 1 Samuel 17. For time, we're not going to... Oh, gosh, I'm over time already. Lord, have mercy on my soul. I'm going to speed this up a little bit. Listen, the story goes this way. We're going to... I think I have to stop. Is this a two-part series? Okay, I'm sorry. Forgive me. All right, so let's look at verse 8. So if you'll turn to verse 8, it says this. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the, to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. Am I, am I, excuse me, I am the Philistine champion. Oh, my bad. Yep. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he, if he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Uh, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Notice, the, the giant stands up and says, listen, let me tell you the narrative. Watch what he does. First of all, I've got this, this right here. First of all, the voice, Goliath, says, who, why are you here? Who qualified you to come before me? Right, he's talking about the armies of Israel. Who amongst you? And he says, let me tell you who you are. You are servants of Saul. Notice he sets that identity. Can I tell you, your enemy will always tell you who you are. I love people who says, Christians should act this way. And I said, are you a Christian? No, but that's interesting that you should know. Goliath points out the weakness. No one can match me. There's no match one-on-one. And you know the truth? That's true. When it comes to the, the satanic area, when it comes to the deceiver, we are not designed to face him one-on-one in his realm. Right? Right, so watch this. Ready? The next, the next portion. Uh, verse 12. Now David, the son, uh, the son of the man named Jesse at Ephraimite, whatever, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man. He had some sons, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> David was the youngest son. Uh, and it says that uh, he, uh, let me think, he went back and forth uh, between the sheep. So in first 15, but David went back and forth so that he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. 16, for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Two things to note. David went back and forth. It wasn't a one-time thing. He didn't come in and said, I'm the hero. He saw this. And back and forth to me means he might have vacillated, right? He's like, I don't know what to do. Should I go? I think that that's sort of where his attitude, I think we want to paint him as some sort of hero who had the answers before the beginning. He did not. But one of the things we look at is there's 40 days that's happening. In the Bible, 40 means testing, always testing. There's a testing happening. And there's also a point that if we don't follow the test of God, 40 days also means we'll take a character or we'll take a characteristic and make it a habit. See, if I'm, if I'm concerned or fearful and I don't deal with that fear, after 40 days, it becomes a habit. No, no amens there. <laughs> Verse 28. But when David's uh, oldest brother, Eliab, right, good brother, family, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. 
What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Good old family friend, Eliab, big brother. Again, why are you here? Who told you you should care about the land that I'm stealing? (laughs) Right? You're just an insignificant shepherd. You're full of pride and deceit. Again, other people in our lives will try to make the, the narrative. What's scary is the enemy, Goliath, had a statement and his brother said the same thing. See, it's tough when we know that there's an enemy and then all of a sudden inside the family, they're saying the same thing. You'll never make it. You're not good enough. Verse 29. Uh, it, it, David starts talking and says, well, uh, what's going on here? I'll, I'll fight this guy. And, and in verse 32, he, he is sent before King Saul. Verse 32 says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Verse 33, don't be ridiculous, Saul said. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since your youth. King Saul, his spiritual leader, his his governmental leader says this, you can't win. You're only a boy. You can't compete. And you know what? In our spiritual battle with the enemy, there's some truth to that. But it's not the complete truth. It says in in verse 34, it says, but David persisted. And he said, let me tell you my story. There were were, uh, bears and lions and um, I was able to club them with a club. I was able to rescue the sheep. In verse 36, he says, I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bears will rescue me from the Philistine. God put within David the ability to set a new narrative. He says, no, 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 you know what's happened? God has given me the ability to protect and rescue sheep. That's who I am. I'm a rescuer, I'm a shepherd, and the same God who rescued me from these animals is gonna rescue me from this pagan, right? God resets our thinking so that we don't have to walk in fear. The the rest of the story, not the rest of the story, the next portion is is hilarious. Saul says, "Um, you know what, okay, like, like, you can just sense that Saul is packing up, so he's running away from, from Goliath, right? He's figuring, oh, we're, we're dead meat here. But, but what he does, he says, hey, I, I, got a, I got a plan for you. He says, listen, I want you to put on my armor. I want you to do, if you're going to fight this giant, fight him this way. And, and I want to submit to you, I think that that's sort of what the church does. Some, some church Churches believe that if we have this system, that will please God. Some religions believe that if I do X, Y, and Z, that God will be okay with that. They have no clue on how to truly please the living God. Oh, let's put, let's put on the same armor that, that Goliath has. 
Let's, let's focus on being wealthy or, or let's focus on this doctrinal position. But notice, Dave, David said, no, no, I, I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to use a system. I'm going to use the same thing that got me. The same God that rescued me is going to be with me here. Notice what he does in 41. This is the good part of the story. So if you're going to read along, here it is. 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. Did you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. Again, Goliath says, what are you doing here? This isn't a battle you can win. 45, David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the animals. Watch, David restates the narrative. This is a spiritual battle, not a physical. In the name of the Lord of the heaven's armies and the God of armies of Israel, and then the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. Notice the differences. The Lord is the one that conquers. We're the one that kills. In my mind, I recognize that God has conquered the spiritual battle, but I need to actively kill the thoughts in my head. And then 48, Goliath moved closer to the attack. David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell to the ground. I don't know what happened there. Some people say David must have been a skilled marksman with the stone in the sling. Absolutely. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that he had the physical abilities. I don't doubt that he had the practice, the skill set. I think that's a component. I think he was ready. I think he had courage based on his past. But I also think that if he was blindfolded and facing in the opposite direction, that stone would have hit the mark. I think that that's the truth about my walk with God is that God says, listen, there's work for you to do. There's, there's books for you to read. There are things that you need to learn about your wife and your children and your job and the people around you. There are things that you need to study. But there's, the truth of the matter is the power to accomplish is based on me. I will give you the power to accomplish. Stand and watch. So David triumphed over the Philistines with only a sling and a, store, a, a stone. For he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled off Goliath's sword from the sheath. And all the guys are going to love this. And he killed him and cut off his head. We need to be people who recognize that the battle we face day to day, moment by moment, even right now, is a spiritual battle that has physical consequences. Or it's a physical battle that has spiritual consequences. The enemy wants to tell you, you will never win. You don't have it within you. You don't have the strength. You don't have the ability. 
but God has a different narrative. So what's interesting about this story, and I'll close with this, is what isn't in the story. In this story, it doesn't say, and the Spirit of God fell upon David. The Spirit of God came and empowered David with supernatural strength. We see that in Exodus where God did. We see that with Samson when God did. We see that with Elijah when God did. We don't see that in the story here. There isn't no, there, there's nowhere where God said, where it says, and God said to David. You know what David was going on? A promise. He says, if God has given me the promise of the land to dwell in, which he's given to each son and daughter of his. If you proclaim the faith that God has made you a son and daughter in him, you have been given land to possess. You don't need a, thus saith the Lord anointing. It's already been given. The decree is out there. Go and conquer. Does that make sense? So the miracle's already been enforced. So I want to pray for us today. Not that, that God has to do something more spiritual in your life, but that you would acknowledge and recognize what God's already done. Go and conquer. Every step, every portion of your life, God has given you authority over. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, we give you praise and glory and honor. We thank you that your promise about the land that we are to possess was from the beginning. The promise was from the beginning that you would give us a land to possess. And I pray that you would open our hearts and our understanding, our courage to possess the land that you've given us, whether it deals with our spouses, our relationships, our children, our, our, our parents. Help us to take authority over every, over every thought and that you would be glorified in every process. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Melissa is coming right now to give you announcements. Oh, by the way, can I just say that the, the heart sign-ups there, I know that's going to be part of her announcements. I'm stealing. Okay, 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 forgive me. I, I stole. Gosh, well, now I don't even want to mention it. Now. <laughs> um, in your bulletins, there's a few announcements. And uh, yes, on the back table, there's actually a couple of sign-ups. We've got the Winter Sanctuary, which is um, this next Sunday. It starts in the evening. Um, it's uh, heart is homeless assistance resource team of Citrus Heights. And um, if, if you're not familiar with them, they run this program every year. Um, it allows um, those that are living on the streets to have some shelter during the colder months. Um, they We serve food and things like that. So if you're able to help at all, we've got um, four shifts per day. It's actually per night. So it's an overnight thing. Um, and sign up for one or 11. That's totally fine. Um, and what you see out there is what we've got. So <laughs> if you're curious about how, um, how staffed we are, um, you can see it. So, and then also this, uh, also on that table is the Mexicali, um, trip sign up if you're interested in that as well. Um, <clears throat> tonight at five, we are going to be over in the Connection Center, um, celebrating uh, Pastor Reuben and Mabel, um, who are moving, 
And we just want to give them a, a send-off of love and uh, food. So it's also a potluck. So uh, come this evening, and we'll, we will honor them as they uh, take, a, take a trip down south. And um, we just want to show them love this evening. So if you're able to come back here at 5. Um, and then also uh, giving statements. It's uh, the end of the month here. So, and it was the end of the year. So at the back table here, the connect table, if you haven't picked up your giving statements, go ahead and do that. Um, we're going to mail out the ones that haven't been picked up yet. Um, so anyway, that's what I've got for you this morning. I'm going to pray for us again because, you know, prayer is awesome. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for waking us up this morning for the, for the word today. God, we just love you. We love how big you are and how much you care for us. And Lord, as we, um, if we each have our own uh, things to do this week, God, I just pray that um, you bring to mind uh, the words that uh, were spoken today and give us encouragement throughout the week, God. And um, we love you. And it's in your name we pray all this. Amen. All right.